Are you ready to perform at your highest potential? Welcome to the Performance Matters podcast from GP Strategies, your talent transformation partner. In each episode, we'll interview industry experts and explore best practices and innovative insights to help your organization improve performance. Hello and welcome back to the Performance Matters podcast. I am your host, Michael Thiel. As always, it is a pleasure to be here with you. This podcast is sponsored by GP Strategies, the world's leading talent transformation organization. And you know what, folks? We're not just saying that. It's true. If you look at gpstrategies.com, we encourage you to visit our site, by the way. You will see at the very top left a link to our resource library. And when you go there, it is absolutely thought leadership central. There are blogs, there's vlogs, there's podcasts on topics ranging from anywhere from AI through anything you can imagine when it comes to organizational learning development, whether it's your industry or someone else's, there's something there for you and I can promise. In fact, I'm just going to click on the topic search here and I'm seeing about 30 topics pop up. Now, the one that is being absolutely blown up and lit up in our search results is artificial intelligence. We all know that for good reason. It is absolutely at the forefront of all of our minds. You know, since the release of OpenAI's ChatGPT about a year ago now, I mean, what a difference a year makes in terms of what our discussions have been. And this got us to thinking about the, really I'd say the interplay or the mix of the role of us as humans and what type of skills we need in an AI-powered future. And I say this not from a doomsday perspective. I mean, after all, we know there is a critical role for humans, but it's gonna shift. It is absolutely going to shift. The roles we play, the skills we need, heck, what we're going to study in school, it's going to shift. There is no doubt about it. We're seeing that already. So we said, well, let's just talk about it. Let's get in front of it. Recently, I had the honor and truly the privilege of having discussions with two thought leaders within the GP Strategies and Learning Technologies group. I mean, these two gentlemen that I am going to introduce, they're the type of people that are playing chess while I'm playing checkers. (laughs) And it's evident after these discussions. So I had conversations with Jeff Fissel, Vice President of Solutions for the Learning Technologies Group. For full disclosure, they are the parent company and investor of GP Strategies. So uh, rest assured, I'll be on my best behavior. I'm only kidding. Jeff is super cool. He is a great guy. He can talk about technology in very relatable terms, but he has a lot to offer. You're going to find out he is an active user and embraces AI and has some really rich perspectives on it. I also had the honor of discussing this topic with friend of the show and absolute embracer of AI, Matt Donovan. For those that 
don't know Matt, he is the Chief Learning and Innovation Officer of GP Strategies. And another full disclosure, he is my boss within the Innovation Research and Development Group here at GP Strategies. So I know for a fact Matt is on this topic. He is thinking about it not only from excitement, but his role is he is our slayer of shiny objects. Matt is going to look at AI and say, okay, let's cut through all the crap and say, how can it be used? But more importantly, how should it be used? Where are the lines in the sand? What do we as organizations need to be thinking about? So you're going to see within this discussion with these two professionals, there's so much that you're going to pick up. Now, the first thing I wanted to ask Jeff is something that is an emerging element, and that is that AI right now runs on effective prompts. And to be able to provide proper direction or prompts, you need to have a lot of meta knowledge, a lot of higher level knowledge to provide the direction that the computer needs to do a good job. And so in my mind, I'm thinking about a couple things. Number one, I'm thinking about, okay, if AI is replacing all the grunt work that it takes to become expert, well, how are we going to have experts to provide the direction in the future? Let's hear what Jeff had to say. Well, I mean, I think there's a, a, a big trend in the reskilling, upskill, the idea of Lay, people having skilled labor to do things. So I think that is a thing most organizations are worried about is like, do they, how do they get people to that level right. to be able to ask the right question? Because repeatable tasks are pretty easy to be automated in AI. If your job is to do right. the same thing over and over every day, like most likely and not put any critical thought into it, the AI is coming for you. Now, I yes. don't think most people yes. are like that. So it is kind of trying to figure out what you would ask. Like, I sometimes even think about like, oh, if I had an entry level person, how would I explain this ask to them? Because it's not an unusual behavior. It's like, it's a thing we've already done. We, as managers, if you've been a manager, you've had to help people figure out how to do things and give them yes. guidance to do it. It's similar to what you need to do with AI. Give them the context, give them the very specific instructions and, and then feedback on what they did. That's one of the best things I like about the large language models is you can kind of say, try again uh, when it comes back and it's not quite right. Ah, you can give it feedback right. on what it wasn't right about and ask it to go fix that. And that's the continual learning part of this. That's really exciting to me. Yeah. And then next time, learn that in the prompt, you should ask it to do that the first time. So you don't have to have that iteration. I can see how the the snowball of innovation on learning how to write good prompts mm -hmm. uh, can get accelerated too from that. And I, well, I can also see potentially you're not getting eye rolls from AI or excuses. It, it doesn't be like, oh, it took me nine hours to do this, right? It just does the next iteration. Well, I mean, you think about certain tasks. Like we have customers that are looking into using AI to summarize and create metadata for their e-learning courses. Because most people mm. like were pretty bad about writing learning objectives and descriptions for content they created. It's just, they're, they didn't have enough time. They're busy creating the content. 
But when you don't do that, you end up with all this like zombie content, all this stuff that's not used, things that are out there <laughs> right. and not a good idea of what's in it because the person that made it 10 years ago isn't even in the organization anymore. So this becomes an amazing task that AI can do where wow. humans could absolutely do it. But man, do, would you feel awful giving someone a job that's to go click next in 10, in a thousand e-learnings and summarize right. what's covered in them? Like, <laughs> talk about an awful job but yeah you're right like the ai engine doesn't care it doesn't feel like an awful job to it it's like cool that's what i like doing let me go yeah do it. it's like I, yeah. I eat data for breakfast right so this is all pretty eye-opening things in terms of boundaries or lines in the sand right here i mean what are what are some boundaries that you are thinking like okay here's kind of where ai and the human are going to meet in the middle here so what's your thoughts on that jeff so that's a, a very good question. So I, I have a personal opinion on this in that I don't okay. I don't want to ask AI to make a decision for me. I, um, I don't even want to ask it mm. to recommend a decision for me. Okay. Because as soon as I ask it to recommend a decision, even if I still have to approve that decision, eventually I might just start to trust that decision and not put in the cognitive effort on my end to understand what that is. I very much want to use it as an assistant to help give me the information, build the case. But I, in very rare scenarios, I can't think of any really where I want to ask it to make a decision or recommend a decision for me to be made off of something. Right. You can imagine the implications in the HR space, in performance reviews and things like that. Like that's, that's a line I don't want to see it. I don't want it to tell managers a recommended rating for someone because then then the manager's going to be like, yeah, sure, that's probably okay. And not yeah, the green yeah. stamp it, boom. Yeah, and, go, <laughs> and you lose that opportunity. You lose those human elements, and those are still really important to me. So that, those are the areas where I, like, decision-making is definitely an area where I okay. don't, I want to keep AI out of that in a way in this moment. Fair enough. I'm curious from your perspective, what's your thoughts on boundaries for AI? Where should we be drawing the line between humans and robots? Well, I think there's a couple of different ways to look at it, but but I think the first one is really focusing on what does AI do well, and then what do the humans do well in in that space. And I think that's one mm. kind of delineation to be able to do. That. I mean, AI is really good at being able to process large amounts of information, you know, for things it can find, things it can process, things it can pull forward. Absolutely, it does a great job with that. It does it relatively, you know, error free. Assuming the data that it's got is accurate and structured, it'll actually put out good, solid summarizations, um, be able to generate content from that in a space. But, but I think on the on the human side, you know, it's the creative, the curiosity that drives us. It's the critical thinking, the problem solving. Humans in the nature, you know, can be more adaptable than the platforms themselves. They're not really good at just working outside of their construct and then adapting into something new there there are elements of that but it's not really good at that and then ethical judgment making that's that's a really big one and i think that's mm. what part of what jeff was talking about is that ethical judgment around should i do this doesn't make sense it's one thing to provide coaching feedback for the use of the individual that can then take it or leave it it's another one to actually then copy your manager on the same feedback and then figure out that says, you know, as a bot, according to my rubric, you know, Matt should be fired because he's not very engaging in his meetings. And here's, you know, we watched the meeting, sat in on that, and this is the conclusion we came to. 
know, I think that that's it's an ethical question to say, is that accurate? Are the rubrics so bulletproof? Does it work whether, you know, uh, I'm in I'm in a Japanese affiliate, I'm in a Brazil affiliate, if I'm uh, New York City versus, you know, Arkansas? I mean, is it work the same everywhere? We can't, you know, know or guarantee that. So is it safe to be making those, I think, larger decisions? So I think that's one of the key areas where I would start to look at a boundary. What humans do well, what AI does well, uh, make sure coming great. together... That's great. I mean, it's clear that you have thought deeply about this, and I know that you have um, some significant publications on the GP Strategies website regarding our perspective, a very well-informed perspective on AI. So listeners, if you haven't had a chance to go to our website and check out our special AI section, please do so. So you hit on one thing. I'm just going to put this out there. Do either of you use like an AI bot? Matt's Raise your hand if you do. Because mine showed up to his meetings before to help summarize things for me. Explain this to our listeners who might be driving. They're like, okay, A, how do you get an AI bot and what's it do for you? There are lots of them out there. For me, it's about note-taking and summarizing meetings. I joke, I, I feel like a professional meeting attender and I like to have good notes. I physically write down notes. I have a college rule binder right here where I scribble lots of things down. But I have found asking someone to summarize the transcript of a meeting can be remarkably useful to me of helping remind me of key points, topics, discussions, even the action items that we've discussed in a longer meeting. Um, so to me, that's it's an accelerator. It's that assistant that hmm. helps me be more productive and be able to handle more things at the same time. So it's a, okay. it's a great tool to do that. And we use it on the sales side as well because it's a great coaching area for for sales teams. We record sales calls and the reps are able to get feedback, but no manager ever wanted to watch hour-long recorded sales calls of everything they did. But being able to pull out areas of interest, conflict, discussion, and just get to those snippets is made the ability to coach people that much easier and scalable. So those use cases are reasons why we've adopted those internally. It's, it's what, In LTG, we use technology like that to help scale coaching and feedback mechanisms on kind of the sales and solution side of the business. That's very cool. That's amazing. I mean, just to think that from my side, I didn't even realize that there was that opportunity. For example, let's say in a Microsoft Teams meeting to have your own bot attended. Would someone know it's it's a bot or would it just show up as Jeff Fissel? What's it's it a, look like? That's a very good question. And you have to be very intentional <laughs> about this. And I quite often kick it out because I, in certain conversations, we don't want like people feel uncomfortable about having a third party in there recording the meeting. It's like it's like having a court reporter sitting there. Like there's a reason they're there typing everything and making good notes of every word that's said that changes the dynamic of how people show up to meetings. It shows up as a separate thing that's very clearly labeled as a, a recording bot. And I talk to people about it up front of like, hey, do we want it? If we want it, that's great. We can use it. I'll send everyone what it generates. If we don't, let's kick it out. No big deal. Like we can have a normal conversation. So okay. I'm very deliberate God. about about that and want to make sure everyone on the call is very aware of that too. It's not, <laughs> I don't, 
the big brother secret stuff isn't isn't gonna fly for long if people think so. I was gonna say, when can you talk smack about somebody nowadays? Jeez. Yeah. So that actually kind of reminds me of do you remember back in I don't know, like the late nineties, that term netiquette uh, with an N, netiquette type <laughs> thing? Like you'd have to teach people how to uh, you know construct an email appropriately and everything. So now there's it sounds like from what you're saying, there's a whole protocol of etiquette around your digital assistant, right? Yeah. And I, and this happened with Matt, which was kind of funny was like, it showed up to a meeting before I showed up to the meeting. Cause I was running late and Matt made the assumption that I didn't want to show up to the meeting. I just wanted him to talk to the bot. So then it would summarize something for me, which wasn't true, but I could see how it was perceived that way. And has since then proceeded to give me a hard time every time the bot shows up. <laughs> Matt, have you ever been in a meeting where it's just you and bots? No, but that is my fear. It's just like I'm in there. It's, it's very much parallel to that that envisioning of the college classroom where it just was a professor and then all these like hand recorders. No students were in there. They just recorded the lecture. I mean, I'm going to show up to a meeting and it's nothing but me and four bots taking notes. And it'll be just, it'll be extremely, you know, say ego shattering. But uh, yeah. Well, you know, now that Microsoft has the avatar thing, if you could have your bot occasionally push the little buttons that dab and, you know, nod and everything. I mean, I'm just spitballing here. I think there's some potentials for enhancing uh, the productivity in, in a meeting. Uh, I, you know, I, I believe it just shows the human <laughs> creativity and how things can be used to do a variety of things. I mean, it, it's fascinating. <laughs> we create an over-meeting culture. We're in all of these things. We, we get in and we don't want to miss things. So I send my bot because I've got three meetings at exactly the same time. So I send my bot to two meetings. I go to the third and, and I'm like, you know, is it really addressing the underlying issue? I mean, at that point, my question is, has technology really helped our productivity or is it really just another alleviation of the symptom without addressing the, the underlying problem? But, but mm -hmm. I will say that the etiquette is the important part. Being able to understand the bot because it can do unintended things. I mean, you know, making people uncomfortable with what it is. People don't know what it is. It shows up and you're running 10 minutes late. Things like that can happen. It's a variety of, uh, of things you have to kind of think about. You Think about the types of data that you're going to be discussing. You know, is it is it high mm -hmm. business impact and extremely sensitive information and you don't want an external you know, agency recording that because that recording's held somewhere out there, although it you know, may be secure, but, but the question is, you know, how secure is it? It's in a different place. And so I think as we look at these technologies, it's good to be able to use the upside and all the benefits. And, and actually I was inspired by Jeff's use of it. I've, I've looked to push through vetting for, I listed about five of them I put through and I said, Take okay. a look at these, see where the data is at, uh, where it rests and all that. Just take a security look at some of those things and let's let's kind of work through, uh, you know, which ones might be preferred over others. Because I do think there's some great use out of it that can enable humans. But, but the question is, is let's, you know, we should probably have more productive meetings in the first place where right. you know, I'm not <laughs> just to send my butt because I want to go do something else. There's been yeah. many times uh, I've been in a meeting and I'm sure people would say the same thing about me where you're just like, I wish you could synthesize what you're saying, you know, into one paragraph versus 25 minutes and uh, a bot. It sounds like Jeff, it, it can do that kind of thing. And 
Um, I also imagine you, Matt, like, you know, like a wine uh, steward, or what's it called? A sommelier? Sommelier. No, I imagine you like savoring uh, and chewing different AIs and you're like, hmm, this one was handpicked by anthropology. <laughs> you know, kind of well, and if I know how to trigger the bot, so Jeff sends his bot over, it's tied to a sales workflow. If I strategically did it right, I could have all of his tasks and action items line up in his <laughs> workflow. If I, if I were to say the right keywords, structure it out, it would be like, uh, you know, that's the thing is like, can I trigger the bot so I can actually walk out of a meeting, no to-dos, four bots are carrying forward all the tasks in the meeting. That That's the other side where uh, my bot kung fu needs to get a little stronger. Yes. That's a nice segue for another question I had on my little list here for two LND AI power users. And that is just, what are, I mean, have you heard of any like massive AI fails or things where you're like, oh, that's a learning lesson right there. I mean, any thoughts? Again, not naming names, any anything that we should be aware of as cautionary tales? Uh, the one I go to quite often was kind of to the comments earlier about not using AI as a search engine was the, the lawyer in New York that asked ChatGPT to help write briefs for him to present in court. And it wrote really nice briefs, but it made up previous <laughs> cases law. And he got called out on it and cited and um, fined oh and all of those sort of things because like, he cited cases as precedent that didn't exist because it made them up. It's not a good search engine. Um, and that's one, that's an example I use quite often to drive that point home that like generative AI is not a replacement for search. It's not a good search. Engine. Okay. Yes. Well, and knowing that that lawyer, and actually it happened twice, two lawyers were fined $5,000 each plus their personal reputation damage. I mean, they're going to be a cost yeah. tale for others, but what's amazing is, is they could have taken literally two minutes, walked over to the Westlaw database submitted the case law that was referenced and found out that it was fictitious. It was hallucinated. It wasn't authentic. So it's a failure on the human. And I think that that's the part is like, you can't blame okay. the bot. You can't no. go, the bot made me do it. Uh, you know, you are the <laughs> owner of it. And, uh, you know, and that's where, you know, the judge held them, you know, personally accountable for you can't, you know, and, and actually that is filing a brief Technically, that would either be fraud or deception in a legal consideration. I mean, it's not just like, hey, you know, you got to fine for this. I mean, you could, I mean, it has broader implications. Right. But as humans, we don't look at it and pay attention to it. That's it. And, and that's the problem with sometimes the generative is it is so good. You almost have to read it for, you know, read it differently than you would others. Because on the skimming of the surface, it sounded good. It seemed referenced. The name mm -hmm. good. It was. It would look like a real reference, but it was completely fictitious. That's where the problem is. You got to dig in and make sure you're really doing it well uh, and adopting it. So you got to be accountable. Absolutely. That that is such a great learning lesson because you're right. When something is an output from an AI, it looks so buttoned up, doesn't it? You're like, oh my goodness. Well, how, we can't even question this, and, and boy, what a what a great guardrail! Space a lot, Michael. When we talk oh, about yeah. content creation, because there's this really great, all these cool vendors out there now. They're like, write a three word prompt, and we'll generate a course based off of that, and it will generate a really beautiful course, and it will have words in it. 
they might not be the correct words. <laughs> and that's the part that we need to be very thoughtful and cautious about, but with the right prompt and the right kind of data that we give it, it very much can do the right thing, but we have to give it the guidance and, and help it along that way. Right. It sounds like uh, in your case, what you're talking about, whether it's an attorney or a learning and development professional, is you have someone, your your job and your responsibility is to become the informed editor and sculptor of the output. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, I think the user is going to have to learn how to be able to assess expertise without being an expert. Which is mm, which yeah. is an art in and of itself. The question is, is how right. are we dealing with you know, is it legitimate or is it BS? And and a variation of this, we actually had this as a robust discussion internally. Is we had a team working with a client. It's a work product for them, so it's for them, about them. Subject matter expert clearly submitted content to be included that was pulled directly from ChatGPT. No, no notification wow. to it. No, it, it was clear uh, that it was coming over from that. And the question is, is, when you get this as a SME, did you really validate what was being said? You know, and if our goal is to mm -hmm. say, you know, we want it to be accurate and authentic, how do you actually flag that or bring some things forward to help do that? And we were talking about, so what do you, how, what's the etiquette on this? And, and so, you know, right. I think one of the guidelines we were talking about is that, my recommendations working into project teams is you actually have that as part of your project management kickoff. We're going to talk mm. about this. Hey, AI is a tool out there. You have a company policy on this one, but are we using ChatGPT to pull things from here as a SME? What's our guidelines? How do you want us to handle this? You know, in a similar vein, if somebody were to go out and said, we're writing a leadership course for you, and it's about you, but they clearly went on the internet and stole somebody else's intellectual property, their model, their content. We wouldn't, and we knew that it was actually stolen and they had license for it. We would be behooved to actually call that out because they don't have license and we've contributed to the work product. So, so the question is, is, you know, where did you get it? Is it accurate? Can we include it in the course? Because what will be forgotten is, well, it'll just be remembered that it was wrong, copied or plagiarized. And, you know, for us in this case, our names associated with it may not remember the source of where it came from. So getting mm. one of these things, you know, it's, it's not so much the tool. The tool has its behaviors we know about. It's the humans we have to have accountability for right. what we get. So that leads me to really my last uh, parting question. You two have been so generous with your time. And that question is to put your, I don't know if it's a crystal ball out there. And, you know, think about in the next five years. So what types of things do you think are going to be shifting, um, let's say, five years out if we all met up here because of this evolving uh, integration of AI in the workplace? And let's just focus it on L&D right now. So there's a challenge. Jeff, I'm going to have you go first on that. Put you on the hot seat. Sure. It's a, it's a great question. I At a core... I hope we're talking less about AI in five years and that AI is just enabled within the tools and technologies that we use every day to make us better at our jobs and what we're doing. It's not AI for AI's sake. We're not doing AI. It's, it's less about, maybe we're not even using the term. It's just capabilities that are enabled now within the technology stacks that we all use every day. So I very much hope that. And 
we met, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but one of my, on the L, real L and D side of it is that we get to the idea that learning can be personalized to the unit of one, to me, mm. uh, that I can get the content I need at the moment I need personalized in the modality that best suits me in that moment to consume that for what I need to do. That to me is the panacea, kind of holy grail. If we can figure that out, uh, we can unlock the potential Man. of what people can do everywhere. So th those are, if in five years, those things are true, I'll be very happy. Okay. So what you're saying is it would end up being kind of like right now, we don't go, Hey, I'm going on the internet and um, utilizing, you know, the World Wide web and the information superhighway to do this, right? Mm -hmm. It was just, it's just part of what we're doing. Right. Yep. Okay. And then like you said, boy, it's, it's so exciting to think about that possibility that, you could get what you want. It's like, I guess, Burger King in a way. It's like, you can have it your way. You can get what you want in the modality you want, snap your fingers, and it's just there for you. That is, that's freaking exciting on that end. Matt, I know you've got a crystal ball out there too. You're thinking crazy deep about this stuff. Like, what are some predictions you have that might be happening? And again, not holding you liable to this here, but what are some things yeah. you're thinking in five years, where might we be? You know, I, th I think it'll probably be when it comes to AI, AI is for me just one component of a much bigger transition towards whether you want to call it web 3.0, 4.0. I think that's where it's going to be. So AI is really enabling big data for the individual. So when you when Jeff's talking about that personalized learning bot, it's learning data that it knows about myself, data about others to give me what I need for me when I need it at that point. So it'll, it'll come with that. But the other things that kind of go with that web 3.0 will be able to have, you know, the enablement, it'll be the kind of like the creator space. So we won't just have content from large domains and large publishers in it. It'll actually be out to the individuals down to the individual content and that AI and big data will be able to help find, aggregate, re reconfigure it as we need. So I think there's a lot of features that come with it. We're going to see the ability to buy and sell that content at a much more mm. individual level. So that'll enable and fuel that kind of creator space. So what we see a lot more of that boundaries within corporations, industries, and universities, right. that's going to open up. They'll still be there, but it'll also be starting to enter into this. I mean, I could envision a future college degree would include courses at a couple of institutions, things that come in from recognized experts out in the field that have created and contributed to this. And then my personal bot kind of has my own learning journey that's tailored for me that kind of sets me on my career path where I'm at. I mean, I think that <laughs> AI is a portion of it, unlocking that, but it's like, you know, the seven signs of the next wave of the internet kind of coming out there. AI is a big part of that. Wow. It's just like you imagine telling your uh, three generations back one of your ancestors like, what do you do? And you're like, well, I sit here and type and look at screens and data. And they're like, you don't farm. You don't have a horse and a plow. I mean, I, I my prediction is maybe not in five years, but, you know, in 20, 30 years, people are going to look back like you guys were animals the way we were doing things. And but you two are really painting an exciting future, just even in the near term. And I just want to thank you both for taking some time just chatting about AI, how we're using it in the L&D space and sharing your insights. So on behalf of the entire listening audience, thank you so much and please make it a great day. Thank you. Thank you for having us. The Performance Matters podcast is brought to you by GP Strategies. 
Together, we can create a world where business excellence makes possibilities achievable. You can subscribe to the show anywhere you get podcasts or listen on our website at gpstrategies.com.